Hello, hello, Gather community, and thank you for joining us. Thanks also for all the feedback you've been given on the most recent episodes of the podcast. It's brilliant that you've been enjoying it, and more importantly, that you've been finding some good value from those conversations. So in this episode, I was flying solo. Adam and Mike left me to have a very insightful and entertaining chat with two good friends who are working to support elite amateur golfers in their respective countries. Claire Queen played on the Ladies European Tour for eight years, before moving into sports development and now holds the significant role of Performance Director for Scottish Golf. Currently working with major champions Katrina Matthew and Paul Laurie on the review of the performance system for amateur golf in the country. But even more significantly, Claire holds the distinction, unknown to her until this chat, of being the person who shattered my dreams of becoming a tour professional. The year was circa 2000. I was a young aspiring golf scholar at university. Claire was in the same squad we had a short game challenge against each other and Claire completely wiped the floor with me. At that moment, I realised what was required to have a chance to get to tour level and I did not have it. Anyway, I digress. Today's other guest is David Carney from Ireland. David has an incredibly diverse set of experiences working in golf over the years, across various continents and on some brilliant golf development projects but he's also got vast experience working with elite players and along with some golf development consultancy, he currently holds the role of performance director for the Irish Ladies Golf Union. Someone who's been incredibly helpful to me personally with his wise words and calm advice, David makes some observations about the industry in this chat that really hit home. He's also a hilarious guy and he offers his usual brand of humour. Despite leading national teams against each other in the past, Claire and David have put their differences aside and they've allowed me to referee an interesting chat that covers some cool stuff, including how the COVID-19 situation is forcing a potentially well-needed rethink about how the top amateur golfers are supported by their national associations. We can also learn about a huge and rarely discussed problem in golf, why there's a high percentage of young players and their parents that do not really understand golf and the significant impact that this then has on how those young golfers develop in the sport. And for any club managers listening, look out for the quote, the golf club membership situation drives me bonkers, and hear why three people working in key roles in the industry would currently actually struggle to find the motivation to join a club. Quite a telling realisation. There are some great insights in this episode, and also a very generous offer of help towards the end from one of our guests. Enjoy the listen. I'd like to ask the, the kind of obvious question to both of you based on your roles in Ireland and in Scotland. Um, David, first, how do you see the current global situation this year affecting elite and, or performance amateur golf? And obviously this year is a, going to be a very unusual year in terms of the golf season. Um, what's that kind of longer term impact do you think that's going to have for some of these players based on the changes that are going to be required from the, the pandemic? Yeah, it's a good, it's a really good question. I, I, I'll try not to give you an answer that everybody else probably the the archetypical how much disturbance there's been X, Y, and Z. I've had to think about this, and I think that, um, you know, it, it's got us to think, and there's a, there's a couple of things I think it's going to have an effect on in in programs. And one of the things I was talking about as recent as a couple of weeks ago was really re-examining the the travel issue. Anyway, we were examining it a little bit before COVID in terms of. Like, Colin, do we need to take kids, um, and when I say kids, up to 23, 24 years of age, do we need to keep piling them on planes? Uh, one of our very learned coaches, Donald Scott, and I were talking about this a good while ago, but 
like where is the opportunity for learning of craft and time quality time with really educated coaches and time in your own bed and your own club and your own practice facility to actually work this game out a little bit as opposed to this consistent cycle of airport national championships and I know looking back on it now you know it wasn't a good season unless you basically filled every other week with a trip whereas actually if you took some of that very expensive budget and put it back into your own athletes in their own communities um, I think you'd probably get more longevity but you'd also get a depth of quality that might be greater so from my perspective I would probably see performance and something I've tried not to do uh, but right now I would see his performance and participation as inextricably linked in terms of where the next batch of players are coming from and how we can mine these guys in terms of the overseas travel events and a natural fit with the amount of coaching and education that they receive at home. So, yeah, I think it's it could be the reemergence of the club and it most certainly could be the reemergence of a trip away guys being a treat and something to look forward to and an experience as opposed to a trip away being kind of de rigueur just the actual what we do as a as a kid like a an amateur kid living a professional life if you know what i mean mm. sounds like all those uh <clears throat> online keyboard warriors that have been criticizing scottish golf when we were both working there together claire might have been right then um i, I completely agree with david actually one of the things i've been thinking about is you know, it is maybe it's an opportunity for us to look at what we can do differently. And I wondered, similar to what David said, you know, is this a chance for us to actually kind of build a stronger domestic tournament schedule that perhaps existed maybe in the 70s, 80s, 90s? Um, you know, whereas recently it's become where you have to get on a plane to go and compete, um, which actually kind of limits opportunities, I think, for players because you know, if you're not well-funded by your governing body or your family aren't really well off to be, allow you to do that, then it, um, it does make the, the access to kind of performance sport a bit more limited for a lot of people. Um, so maybe this is quite a good opportunity for, for us to look at what we can do in that area. And a lot of the players care, uh, sorry, Colin, a lot of the players care, and I mean this with the greatest respect, like a lot of them haven't cut their teeth at national level to a degree that, like, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're sometimes taking away players that their best performance has been a quarterfinal or, or a semifinal at home. And I don't know what we're expecting here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Are we, are we go yes. Yeah. Um, we, we've, had, we've had these debates in, in Scotland around, you know, choosing the right events for players at the right times. And David and I, we've, we've chatted about this as well, how we can sort of get players to the stage where they're ready for those types of experiences without perhaps kind of piling the pressure on by taking them to somewhere, you know, a broad, high-pressure environment where they, they just aren't ready to kind of compete yet and then maybe damaging, you know, their sort of ambitions, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, it's how we can, you know, support the players a little bit better for, for some of those tournaments. Uh, what might is there a, is there an example from those conversations that you guys have had of something that might do that? I mean, I'm personally I'm thinking that having to shoot under par on a wet, windy links course in Scotland or Ireland um, under tournament conditions is is pretty much up there amongst some of the hardest things you can do as an amateur. And it might actually be harder than going across to the south of Spain in the in November and you know playing in your shorts. Um, is there any specific examples you think? 
Um, there's, there's certainly no shortage of uh, opportunities to practice and play in bad weather here, is there? But um, one, of, one of the things that we that came about through some conversations that we'd had and had with Gillian O'Leary, who's the Performance Director of Wales, was um, just some of the lack of opportunities for sort of young girls to sort of experience that travel side of things. Um, and earlier this year, actually, probably a month or so before, you know, things got really bad, um, we, we did a little... I wasn't there, David David did go, but we did a little quadrangular match between Scotland, Ireland, Wales and the Netherlands um, where we took four girls, under 16 girls, each team. Um, and it wasn't so much about the, the tournament side of things, the match, it was more around the letting them kind of mix with each other. Um, they went to Spain, so they, they played on a, a really good championship golf course and kind of experienced some of those extra conditions um, that you don't experience in Scotland. Um, and, and really the, the four countries try to link up and, and make it a really good learning um, learning experience for the players. Um, David, you might chat a little bit more about that. but Yeah, it was, the deliveries were, were, were crossed. So basically each of the coaches took a responsibility to deliver um, to these young kids different areas of the game. And it was just f- phenomenal to see everybody learn from everybody else. Um, I think if you look at it from a perspective of as a, as a growing player, any player that we work with, I think sometimes we're very critical on performance, whereas we actually should look more at progression and we should look at whether the, the, the child is progressing in terms of their thinking patterns, in terms of their performance. But um, it, it, progression is far more important for me than actual performance. And I think that weekend was incredible to give these guys an opportunity to really shape their minds and think about if this is what they want to do or when you made that decision clear about thinking, I'm going to go and play this at a high level. And, and I most certainly know from our perspective that we had some guys coming home. We had two two of the girls coming home that were just phenomenally motivated by the whole thing, and they they actually mm-hmm. never saw the opportunity that was there for them. So, yeah, I, I think that's kind of to to cap off me for the first question, um, Colin. I think budget now should be you know, Michael O'Leary will kill me for saying this, but could we put it into experience experiences for athletes, educational stuff as opposed to flights? That, that's something that I've probably got out of this. Okay, great. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting both. Thank you very much for that. <clears throat> and I'd like to, to kind of move across now and um, switch slightly. Um, both of you have an idea of this, but we, Adam and I have had some conversations recently. And as you'll know, our colleague Adam Cable um, works in, in the recruitment side of things. And uh, I, in my last role, worked in the RNA and one of my colleagues, Jackie, was leading on the uh, women in golf charter which is um, quite commonly known around people that work within the industry <clears throat> adam and i were talking about you know we have a bit of an assumption here that perhaps there's a missed opportunity of the within the market of uh, former female tour players and is there an opportunity for them to be supported more into potential roles or even um supported with their development uh, more awareness given to them about the potential roles to work within the golf industry be interested to hear both your views on this are we is our assumption fair or is it something that we're way off on um i don't i don't think you're way off no i think there's i think there's been recognition that that maybe there could be more uh done to support sort of you know ex-female tour pros um i know the let have done a little bit in recent years to, to sort of look at that area but i'm not sure i'm not close enough to know how far that project um has has kind of developed. Um, at Colin, we've chatted before about my experience when I played on tour, and um, 
there, there wasn't really any kind of focus on you know what's next after tour life and it's one of the difficult things I think if you're if you're a tour player then you want to play golf and you want to earn your living from playing golf so it's quite difficult to to make yourself think about well what happens if this doesn't work out um and that, that's quite it's quite a tricky uh stage um I, I almost wished um when I when I stopped playing on tour it was kind of a quite a quick cut the cord thing and then I then I thought well what's next and while I had a degree I didn't have any work experience of real value um so I almost had to start at the beginning and and go back and try and kind of get some work experience if you like I did some voluntary stuff and um and that but that was a stressful sort of period of time for me um you know just that the uncertainty of knowing what's next and I, I don't think I'd be the only uh, female tour pro to say that so you know, it, it is something that I've thought about. Perhaps if I could go back, I would I would think a little bit more about developing some of my more useful skills maybe um, earlier in my life. <laughs> um, but that's yeah, just it, was my, it, it was much easier for me, Claire, because I was crap, so I, I had no choice, <laughs> you know. I, 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 I couldn't hit a cow's ass with a banjo, so I was in, I was in, the, I was in, my, I was in my side fairly quick. So, I, you know, I think I've a... a of a real um, insight into this one, Colin, because I my view on this is like Claire is so young that she played her first. Sorry, my first home internationals was Claire was a player for Scotland in, in the Berkshire with her Callaway X 15s She broke our hearts because actually we'd beaten England, so we thought we were going to march home. Uh, so she yeah, destroyed so. your dream dreams as well. Yeah, it's only it's only look at it, it's it's nineteen years ago. I can go, I can go a full day without thinking about it. Sometimes now, <laughs> you know, there's no no hardship. But on a, on, a, on, a, on a serious note, and I don't have this empirically from an evidential perspective, but I do have it anecdotally. Is that I depend? I think it depends how players were spat out of the game. In terms of like golf is a tough game, and you go through what these girls go through, the likes of Claire go through, and it is doggy dog. It is mentally so taxing, it's so lonely. Um, you know, ninety five percent of people don't care how you play. The other five percent wish you played worse. You know, it really is one of those games that you've got to be a particular type of a unit to get through this. And then if you come out of that environment and you put the Callaway X15s away. Like, are you going to go back into that environment again? That's the question. Mm-hmm. And and um, both of you know me long enough. I don't really want to pat on the back for this. It's not me. It's more, I would say it's more Sinead, our CEO. It's more our staffing. But like at one point, we had four former players come back and work very quickly in the union. Yes, and I firmly, yeah. I, I firmly believe that's due to the culture within the union. I firmly, and, that, and culture comes from top down. That's our CEO. That's our board. That's most certainly the seven service providers, the coaches we use. But like they know it's okay. It's okay not to be okay. And that this is part of the deal. Um, But it's not golf's fault. It's how we kind of decide to take it on ourselves. So at one point we had Carla, we had Sarah, we had Gillian, we had Anne McCormick. Um, we have Maeve Kelly. We had, I, I think now on and off, we could have had six of the girls come back in all did a stellar job and I like to think that some of them have gone now but I think all enjoyed their experience of coming back into work within the union so I'd say it's a very particular thing I'd say it depends on the individual but my West of Ireland vernacular would say it depends how they were spot out of the game mm-hmm. yeah really interesting um, yeah. 
I, I it wasn't I guess it wasn't my intention to come back into golf as quickly as I did when I when I did join the world of work um but when I got the opportunity for to join the at the time the SLGA as performance coordinator and um my my heartstrings pulled a bit because I thought well golf's been pretty good to me I've had a lot of experiences mm. I had the chance to help influence at the time female um sort of performance golf in Scotland you know was was kind of too good to pass up so um that was that was certainly what what experienced me I can't say that my own golf has um, developed uh, in the last eight years at all but <laughs> I can I can enjoy the odd sociable game now you had your time yeah. Terry you had your time <laughs> we've played a couple of social games over the years and she's st- she's still crushing my dreams so there's nothing to worry oh, about no. there. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have no interest in playing golf with Claire Queen. None whatsoever. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> okay, well, no, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, I guess the follow-up for me would be, you know, a number of those names that you've mentioned there, David, if I'm correct, and I don't know them all that well, but I do know some of them, you know, some of them are come quite fast through the elite amateur game back into working in the the national association Mm -hmm. do you think that perhaps um players who who have gone on to tour you know like claire's example are there many that you either of you know about maybe in other countries where they've actually been on tour as a professional for that number of years before then reverting back into working in the industry and you know is that is that potentially where the opportunity lies is those players once they're a little bit further down their career as a professional Mm -hmm. Is it for associations to say, here's great opportunities because there's a former Scottish player who was once an amateur 10, 15 years ago, but we want to harness their skills and a network to develop the game in our country? Or is it more something that you just think is down to an individual's choice because it all really depends on their experience in the game and, as you say, their experience of ending their tour life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, for me, it's skills and competencies based because like, you get somebody who's... Like I'm for the, you know, if, if you look at where I'm looking at is that you, because high performance sport, you know, there's budgets involved. It's a big business now. It's, it's a, and, and really I think what you're doing at this moment in time, not just from an equitable perspective or, or a balanced perspective, I think any position that becomes available, Colin, you're looking for the right person. You're looking for the right person and the right experience. So I probably would, I, I probably wouldn't look at this as an opportunity. I would look at it as, yeah, sure. If they want to, come back in as everybody else would want to come back in. That's an open playing field and we get the right person to do the right job. But I think the, the deeper piece is, uh, as Claire alluded to, is the actual, the deeper dive is figuring out as they start off board, what actually is it they want to do? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and is that, you know, going in, you know, you might, it's a bit like, you know, getting on a certain football team, you're getting on it because, you know, the, the choice isn't there for more players. And that's no good reason to go into a job. The reason to go into a job should be because actually I'm looking at this piece. I'd love to work with young players. I'd love to travel a bit. I'd love to stop traveling. I've actually got a really good organizational brain. I'm really good at numbers. I could do budgets to these guys that I know David hates doing. Things like that. I think there's, a, there's probably more um, of a reason for somebody to do something that's going to be lasting if they go down that road of thought as opposed to just assuming because it's their... You know, it's their industry that they're going to contribute, yeah. Claire, I'm going to switch over to you now. Gave you this one in advance, so you've had a wee bit of thinking time about this. Is there one challenge within the golf industry that currently bugs you the most, and why? Um, it's kind of, it's, I mean, it's not a new conversation, but um, I think in some ways it's, it's just the sort of 
where we still have quite a big gender divide in you know in the golf culture in general sort of you know the gent section of a golf club the, the ladies section of a golf club and um the you know I've traveled a decent bit and been to other countries and experienced you know where that doesn't exist and where it's a much more mixed sort of atmosphere um and I think that's just one area that I know there's work being done and um, but that's one area of golf that I think would be would help make golf more appealing to to some some other people if if we had a bit more of that culture um and yeah I think I think there is some good work being done but there's it definitely looks like some other sports have kind of tapped into that a little bit better than golf have so we've still got a long way to go um that's yeah it's just a a little one okay great before I come on to you David because you've got I know of some specific examples you've got obviously not just within your role in Ireland but you've done a lot of work with um, the Ukraine Golf Federation recently and you and I have talked about that a lot um, and a number of the people involved in the federation are really driving things there are they've got I don't know what the percentage is but there's a number of, of females involved and, and I've worked with them too and they're fantastic in terms of the contributions they're making to that country but you've worked across a lot more countries than I have so I'm curious mm. to kind of just get your your feeling on that but before you do it was interesting that you, you didn't um, tell me in advance that, that was going to be your answer clear but one thing I was reading yesterday was a, a post someone had, had put on LinkedIn um, about something that Meg McLaren wrote and it prompted me to Google the words yesterday, golf magazine, women front cover, and just see what images came up. And it did such an obvious thing. But again, uh, probably ignorantly as, as a man, despite working in golf development for so many years and, and trying to promote the game for every everybody, I just looked and I thought, you know what, what? Well, okay, there is the there is the specific women in golf magazine, but at the same time, there is golf monthly, there's bunker there's golf world there's all these magazines that i had and i used to buy them all when i was a kid and i was obsessed i'm looking at all of these front covers and thinking but these are the magazines that sit in clubhouses in fact they're actually the magazines that sit in doctor surgeries as well and you're like but there's never any women in the front cover and there's barely any articles about females in them now maybe maybe not reading them as much recently that has started to change but it did kind of hit home to me and go well is that really gonna help change the you know the equality situation within the industry if we don't even get that bit right um so yeah just just curious to drop that in before you give us your thoughts david yeah i think we will we we're just finishing a body of work with ukraine which has been really interesting and i'm not sure of the um in, in terms of what we're talking about I, if we go across the board if we look at equality and if we look at things like the membership stuff there actually drives me bonkers you know this thing you can park your car there. You can't park it here. You can sit yeah. there, but you can't. Like, guys, I'm not a member of a golf club. I'm an honorary member of Claremont's Golf Club in the West of Ireland, where I came from. And I got an honorary membership because I worked in the industry and because I contributed at some point to the industry. And I, I love it. And I love going down there to see my mom and dad and pick up. I wouldn't join a golf club. I wouldn't join it. Mm -hmm. I'm out. Because... I'm not going into a situation. I, and, and look, I'm the antichrist with this, guys. I don't mind. You can put this. I don't care where you play this. But like, if I go into a place, it comes back down to, it comes back down to, we used to do, I'll ramble a bit here now and I get a bit off my chest, if you don't mind. I was a please club do, professional. At a, I, I was a club professional at a, at a very good golf club in Dublin. We ran a series called Lost Ladies, where we had the ladies play golf on a Thursday morning with me. We played three holes. We had no rules. And then we had coffee. I told them a couple of jokes and that was it. We were gone. Great. No rules, no score, no handicap. That was the idea behind it. No timesheet. 
And it was one of the most enjoyable things I ever did in golf in terms of getting people to enjoy the game and play the game for the game's sakes, not for the crap that's around it. So car parking spaces, you can sit here, you can't sit there, but somebody else can sit there. Well, if you're in there, that means you have more money than me. So that means that actually you're a better human being than me. So therefore, I should feel bad about it. Is it any wonder we're messed up, really? Yeah. You know, um, I don't, you know, is, is, does that situation happen in other clubs? I know in the Gaelic Athletic Association at home, our biggest population in terms of social sport, it doesn't. You know, you go in, you, your kids playing football, the conversation is, there might be a pint in the evening time. There's none of this crap. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that wasn't what was on my list. So back to Ukraine, what we did was we did a strategic plan for the RNA, which, Colin, you helped us with a lot. But essentially, it was the equality wasn't, with all due respect to the, the to females, it wasn't even females. It was deaf people. It was Paralympians, uh, Paralympic uh, sports people. It was juniors. It was men. It was rich. It was poor. It was like can we not just go and play golf? Can we not just have equal opportunity within, if somebody wants to go and play golf, go and play golf, and that's it. If you want a lesson, go get a lesson, and that's it. And if you have not got the means to be able to do that, can your federation help you do it? That's basically the long and the short of it. So it's been really exciting from that perspective, I think, in terms of looking to give everybody a possibility and a, and a, and a chance to play golf and really enjoy golf. Um, so I think... The bad news for developing nations is that they're behind in terms of numbers and facilities. The good news is that if they actually get really strong with their culture early, they can quash this. They can get this mm-hmm. out of the system. Mm-hmm. But again, it comes back to a human being being safe. Do you feel safe in the environment you're in? Colin Bell mm-hmm. texts me, Dave, do you want to come on and do a chat with Claire Queen, Colin, Colin Bell? Two good people I've known for a long time. I'm incredibly safe in this environment. I like both of you. I have no problem with it. But do our golfers feel like that when they go through the gates of a golf club? Do they feel like, I can play three holes, I can pick up the ball, I can actually go back and I can have a lemonade, and then I can have a few putts, and then I can go home? Is it a place that I can go and enjoy and express myself and be who I want to be with no judgment? I don't think so, guys. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I agree. It's just that, you know, how do you how do you attract the non-golfer when it's not a welcoming environment in the first place? That's the um, and it, I, I often I hate myself for even thinking it, but sometimes I, I think now if I was I knew what I know now and I go back to when I was 12 or 13 years old, would I want to be a member of a golf club? Would that be my first? I'm not. You know, I'm not convinced that's not taking anything away from the enjoyment I've had from the game and the friends that I've met and things. But um, right now, I'm, you know, I'm the same as you, David. I'm, I'm an honorary member of my, my home club, but um, I'm not a member of, of another club. And, you know, I don't have an interest in in that because they probably don't create the, the kind of social environment that I want. <laughs> You've absolutely nailed that there, Claire, because I, I was about to ask you the same thing you know, working in the industry now and trying to get more people into the game, looking back, having moments to look back and think what it was like in my club when I was a kid. And I, very much like a lot of the other things that are going on in the world around about us and particularly in America recently, it's like you're, you're blinkered because of your environment and because of the way you were introduced to it. And it doesn't, it's not your fault, but you literally don't realise it at all until much, much further down the line. And I'm looking back now and I'm going... Uh, my, my, I'm sorry, but my club was horrendous when I was a child. I mean, <laughs> the stuff that the stuff that was acceptable and tolerated in any way is just uh, like would be unacceptable now. 
but well you know I was introduced to the game by my parents and I was comfortable going there because I was just a I, I met the age criteria and I was quite decent early on so I was in the junior team so therefore you can kind of go down and pretty much do whatever you want but you know it's not that welcoming for other people and, and even now there's many places many many years later than I was a junior that that's still the situation so thank you for sharing both of those um, responses and insights that's really really important and um, I'm really important uh, really impressed that you can put that out to the community here at Gather and um, is there is there one is there a different challenge that bugs you in the industry David I know you're a, you're a very um, <coughs> Are you a Zen guy? I would regard you as a fairly Zen guy. When you and I Thanks, talk, you, I, I, I'll take you, you, you're, you're you're very you're very wise when you um when you give me some advice on the phone. So it might be that nothing bugs you, uh, but let, let's yeah. see. Yeah, no, you, you you want my we're all accept everyone's behaviour piece, but I'm not going to give that to you today. I'm playing for your audience today because you asked a, a straight question, and I think one of the beauties about Buddhism and about Zen and all these things is that yes, we we do. Um, we do accept the wisdom not to try to change stuff we can't change, for sure, absolutely. And, you know, your biggest change in my practice over the years has probably been, you know, getting up, contributing in what way I feel I can and probably been able to take the bullets from everybody else a little bit better. But I'll tell you what is something I think is really, really crucially important. And I think if I mention it, it might spark a chord with Claire as well. Claire came over and did a great piece for our, um, our female pros. We did a... We have a level par program for uh, six female pros that, that are on a scholarship in terms of improving their skill set, etc. It's been really, really, uh, really, really insightful and really enjoyable to be part of. And, and Claire came over and did a piece for us, which was great. The girls really enjoyed that because it was a kind of almost to see where Claire had gone through and done all of that bits and pieces. But when we go back and look at everything, here's something that I think we could look at. I actually think a high percentage of young players and their parents do not understand golf at all. And I think it causes huge problems. And what don't they understand about it? Well, they don't understand it's a game of mistakes. They don't understand that it is a gradually a gradual grading from a young age to an older age of improvement or general line of handicap is getting better and coming down, but it is not linear. And um, they don't understand that they cannot control score. They don't understand that they cannot control somebody else's play. So yes, uh, the Antichrist has appeared again until they actually can fundamentally understand the game. The game is completely the opposite than most of the games we play. When you swim, for example, I was a competitive swimmer when I was a kid, and I got to a point where my time, I was good enough to win um, an All-Ireland bronze medal was my best. I never got to the gold. But my time never changed. Um, I've watched snooker when I was a kid, and you get one, four, seven, and that's it. It never gets any better. And if you generally speak and go to some sports, you'll probably, tennis being a very good example, you'll generally see the same big four for in the men's game for a certain time. Probably um, two ladies and probably then maybe a sprinkling of one or two, maybe an Australian lady come in for a while and one of the Eastern European players come in and made a semifinal. But generally it'll be the same players on the podium. Golf is so different, it's off the charts. But I think that we don't do enough work with our parents and our kids to say, guys, if you're going to beat yourself up, if you're going to look for perfection, if you're going to insist that your kid does this every day, and if, if you as a child insist that it's going to be good every day, I would do yourselves a favor now. And I would go down that road, get out of this place as fast as you can, and never come back. And that fundamental misunderstanding of the game, I think, is something as adults 
we have a huge responsibility to explain it to two people in particular, kids, number one, but number two, parents of kids that are maybe not involved in golf so that they can understand what they're taking on board as their kids shows an enjoyment for the game. So that's it. Rant over number two. Love the rants. That's exactly what this podcast is all about. Thank you. <laughs> I'll, I'll be texting all of the Gather community and asking them, what did you think of this one? Um, about that, who was that ranting Irishman you had on the call last week? <laughs> was he drinking heavily before the podcast? No stereotypes well, you know, on here. Like, we, we, we just, the amount of times I have calls with players and the coaches even, maybe coaches, and like saying, guys, like at what point did we think this was all going to go just perfectly? At what point yep. did you think this was just going, going to get better on a daily basis? At what point did you think there was going to be no challenges? And unfortunately, we've been brought up probably in particular in the last number of years to think but in a protective society where nothing goes wrong. <laughs> so if nothing goes wrong and you grow up, are you expected then to think nothing is going to go wrong? And then all of a sudden you get the first bash. Boom, what's that? What hit me there? Cripes, this wasn't supposed to be like this. Mom, Dad, what's happening here? I just had a high score. Get the coach on the phone. Quick, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I think I think a key point you're making there, David, is the difference between other sports and golf. Um, and I know we all like to, you know, we work in the golf industry, we always like to talk about how unique our sport is and how it brings all these additional benefits. But in this case, it absolutely is relevant. Especially, you know, many parents will have, especially if their kids are in golf, let's face it, then they've probably had experiences of their kids playing other sports as well. And if none of those other sports follow that similar pattern, then when they come into golf as a non-golfing parent, of course, they're just going to assume, well, why isn't this just the same? You know, the more money we spend, the more hours we drive them, the more they practice, the more coaching they get from a good coach on paper. Well, surely they're just going to get better. And then that's it. And they're on that road to stardom. So fascinating. Yeah, I really, um, really like both of those challenges. Claire, you got a, a wee follow-up? I, I, was, I was just going to, I was just going to say on the, on the theme of if only I'd, I'd, I'd known then what I know now, you know, I could have saved myself um, many years of torment when I was actually still playing on tour. Um, if I'd been a little bit more accepting of some of those things. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's one of the things that's, that's quite tricky to, you know, to kind of impress on people that, it really is a long-term game and you know I, yeah I remember thinking when I was 16 years old that this one tournament was the most important week of my life and you know and every and every week was like that but it's it's just not and that's uh it's it's, it's the really skilled that can uh, <laughs> that can yeah. accept that but we yeah we I do agree we have to we have to try and help everyone understand that um because it is a it's a pretty tough and brutal game and um at every level <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when you and I worked together in Scottish golf a few years ago, Claire, that was one of the things now, and we have this conversation, I look back and go, if only you and I had had David on the, the, the Antichrist on the end of the phone when we'd been talking about, where should we double down on the on this programme for developing players? Should we do a few more Should we do a few more parents' education workshops, or should we just do 10 more coaching hours? If only we'd known. Um, these, these, we've we've we... flipped that now. Exactly. <laughs> I, I probably didn't even know it then, guys, to be fair. So yeah. But you know what? You know, this is exactly what we hope this is helpful for. You know, there maybe there's someone listening that will pick this up. And whether it's now or in a few months' time, looking back through the podcast and, and listening to them, they'll maybe pick something up here and go, there's a good point. I should have a wee think about that. So, and if it's someone running a national program, then all the better, um, or a national coach. So, thanks for for both of that. And um, we've we've taken quite a lot of both of your va- very valuable time already. And I like to just kind of try and wrap up here. 
uh, with a, a quick one from both of you. What would be, if there was, something that was a, a current or recent passion that you've had related to your work or personal development that you might be happy to share with the community that you think you've found some value in and, and might be helpful for someone else to think about? Is there anything that comes to mind, Claire? Um, I don't know if this, this applies, but um, obviously the kind of last few months have been have been a challenging time and, um, you know, going through the lockdown, you know, working from home, that type of thing. I've, I've been furloughed for a few months and um, it, for me, it's been just kind of evaluating and sort of reflecting on how I used to spend my time and when, if things go back to any form of normality, how I might, how I might change and help just help myself work a wee bit more effectively and give myself a little bit of uh, breathing space at times, I think, as well. Um, and that's that's something I'm quite keen to do, um, being a slave to, you know, your emails and answering your mobile phone and getting in the car and driving everywhere is, um, I think I've seen the other side of that now. So um, for me, I'm hoping that, that uh, a little change in some of those approaches might might help me in the future. Great, thank you. David, anything come to mind? Yeah, lovely, uh, Claire. And actually, funny enough, I had a note written about that. Um, Stretch, Scott Sonnenshine and Brave New Work by Aaron Dignam were two books I read in the last year that were really, really interesting in terms of, um, I think, you know, making the most of the resource you have, whether it's privately or, or from a, from a um, organizational perspective. But also, yeah, I agree, Claire. I'm definitely not as hard on myself now as I was in terms of, uh, communication I think it's been really helped by you know developing your values around communication in terms of like I don't do any social media at all so if Colin Bell contacts me personally I'll probably get back to him on the same day nine times out of ten I'll get back to him the same day and that's led me also into something that I think you know some of the all four of your listeners could think about Colin as well uh, for, for any podcast I'm on but I think it's also you know what, instead of beating myself up about my weaknesses over the last while, I've actually become really um, hopeful that my strengths are going to be of benefit to others in terms of I've stopped trying to, you know, knock holes in myself because I can't do a couple of things. I've started to ask for a bit of help in them. And sure enough, people are great. People say, no problem, I'll do that for you. And that's helped me double down on stuff that I really enjoy doing and stuff that I think I'm pretty good at. And I think the two go hand in hand. Um, and that's been good for me is to be able to, for, for any of the listeners to think, you know what, what do I really like to do and what do I think I'm good at? And if you could somehow manage then to combine that, put it into the mixer with Aaron Dignan's book, Brave New Work and Scott Sonnenschein's book, Stretch. If you could put those things into the mixer, you could end up um, from your family's perspective, from your own personal perspective, as quite a potent force in terms of your enjoyment of the fact that we're only here once and we're going to enjoy this life and of course, there's, you know, financial challenges for us all. But funnily enough, if we start to, to work towards um, a working life and a family life that maybe don't feel as different as they do to some people at this moment in time. Mm -hmm. um, I think as I've been on this journey, for me, um, I'm away for quite a run now and I, I won't be at home now for a good few weeks. But it doesn't feel bad because it's kind of something I'm really enjoying doing and I have a bit of family time on the phone in the evening time. We catch up. I have an 11-year-old who 
She uh, she still thinks I'm great. That's going to be for another year, but only. But she's got other stuff on as well, and we're inclined to talk about it now. So, yeah, I, I would say the examination itself has been something that everyone has done in the last two or three months, and those would be my contributions to it. So probably, coincidentally, because I hadn't spoken to Claire, but pretty much where Claire's going with that as well, I think, yeah. And I've, I've, just, I've just added two books, two books to my reading list, so... <laughs> good. Get stuck into them. Very good. Oh, thank you. Well, in that case, you've helped at least one person in this phone call with that, that development go. side of things, David. And, <laughs> and I just want to follow up on what you said there, because we, we had a conversation a couple of months ago and, you know, pretty much the advice that you gave me then was um, tend to your garden, you know, have those conversations and, and keep, just keep your network strong and keep talking to people and finding out how they're getting on and, and just try and be supportive to people. Um, and, you know, actually just kind of play to your strengths a little bit and, and kind of believe in the things that you're that you're good at and it reflects a conversation I had with a someone who kind of acted as a bit of a mentor probably around 10 years ago and they they said to me at the time I remember asking like I've, I've done a personality profile and here's the weaknesses and here's the strengths how much should I work on these weaknesses and they said very little if any mm-hmm. actually I would I would say and that was their opinion at the time but I, I held their opinion in high esteem and and that I think proved to be good advice so yeah I think that's um fantastic advice and uh, and thoughts from both of you and um just wanted to I guess to say uh, if there's any is there any final words that either of you might want to say I guess you you both know a little bit about gather you know about our values and what we're trying to do um it's okay if there's not but if there's any, anything come to mind as a final word that you might want to say to the listeners Claire um, just no, I appreciate you you asking me to come on. Obviously, we've chatted a little bit about Gather, and um, I was quite quite keen to learn a little bit more and um, kind of get involved in the network too. So I was uh, thank you for that. Fantastic. Lovely to be on, and uh, a, a bit of a bonus to be on with Claire. I've always been a great fan of Claire. I think we've always <laughs> had a, we, we've always had a good relationship with Claire. I've always had a great admiration. For no, we have. Claire. Thanks, David. To, uh, lo- lovely to be on the call with you. I think from my perspective, Colin, it's. And um, the usual fare for me, if there's if there's somebody out there that maybe is not ha- managing and handling things 100% and, and you want to put me in touch with them and we can just have a couple of evenings where we can just chew the fat and maybe talk about the challenges that they're having. And if it's sometimes somebody like me who's independent to them or mightn't even know them, and if there's anything I can ever do for anybody listening that maybe they're at a point in their their life where they're 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 kind of thinking about some of these things, I'm just more than happy to take that call at evening time for sure. That's a fantastic and very kind offer. I really appreciate that, David. Thank you. Uh, just to, that just leaves me to say a, a very big, warm thank you. Uh, wish you both well with the, the next pieces of work. Thank you very much for, for coming on. Thanks.